Welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Shake Lamore, and today's episode, we are finally diving in to the sports sector of Kankakee County sports history. It's not that I've neglected the topic, it just hasn't happened yet, but we're finally making it happen because there is so much history in sports here in Kankakee County from high school to even actually below high school all the way up to the professional teams as well. So we are starting off talking about sports on the podcast with Ted Peterson, who was a former professional American football player who played for most famously for the the Pittsburgh Steelers, right, Cor- Ted? Correct. Yeah. Right. And you're born and raised in moments? Yes, that's okay. correct. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jake. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I mean, you are a celebrity of the of the area. You won two Super Bowls with the Steelers, yeah, right? Yeah, I was a part of two teams. And I don't feel like a celebrity because uh, of my upbringing. I just uh, grew up in uh, Moments, great town, great people. I owe them so much to my success that kind of humbled to be able to experience what I did and very thankful. And I certainly don't feel like a celebrity, but (laughs) I know it comes with the territory. It does come with the territory. How did your family come into Moments? My dad was born and raised in the Moments area. And so was uh, the rest of the family. My mom came from Lowell, Indiana, Right, right across the state line. Yeah. And uh, and we lived in the Indiana for the first few years of my life. And then uh, and I went to uh, through the third grade, halfway through the third grade in Indiana. And then we moved to Moments to my grandfather's farm. My dad was a farmer, truck driver. And um, and that's how we came to live in Illinois. What kind of farming? Just your typical soybeans and corn and some wheat back then, but uh, small is, farm, 160 acres, and it was good. It was a great life for a young kid. Now, is that the same farm you're still on now? It you is. You know, you know what? You had mentioned I was played for the Steelers. After I was drafted, I was in Pittsburgh for 31 years. I stayed there long after I retired. And then for about the last, oh, I don't know, is it 12, 13 years, I've been back in the area. I wanted my youngest son, I have three boys, my youngest son to experience kind of the same life that I did because I felt it was that valuable building character and grit. When you were in 
Pennsylvania, were you in the city of Pittsburgh or uh, were you on the outside? Most everyone is on the outside of Pittsburgh. It's the surrounding suburbs. I, I lived in the South Hills. There's hills everywhere in Pittsburgh. Yeah. There's no flatlands. No. So I lived in the South Hills and that was great. And the people were great. I enjoyed it. Uh, I always yearned to get back home though. And then we ended up moving back my wife and I, and uh, we built a house right next uh, door to where I grew up, my mom and dad's house, and, and we've been there for quite a while now. Well, getting back to around third grade, you guys moved to Moments back on your family's farm, right? Correct. So when did you start playing football? Well, that's a, it's an interesting story because you'd mentioned about sports and uh, and we can talk more about that, but uh, the prominence of sports in our area, and there's some pretty good ones. Well, Moments had a good reputation for playing pretty good brand of football. And my friends started playing when they were in first grade, seven years old. I didn't begin till I was ninth grade, 15 years old. And uh, I only, I went out because I wanted to be one of the guys. I wanted to have fun. You know, uh, I thought football was a tough game and I wanted to identify with that too. But it was a, a long, tough road because of my inexperience. And I never considered myself the best player on the team, although I was the only one to get a football scholarship. I only had one scholarship offer to Eastern Illinois. And and I wasn't very big as a freshman. I continued to grow. So, so look you were at, a late bloomer. I Exactly. <laughs> and my best buddies were the stars of the team. They were really good. And, uh, and we've stayed close uh, even to this day. But So in your high school career, though, I mean, that's where it all started. What was your starting position? What was your first year? What was your first year like in playing football? My first year was very humbling again, because you got to picture this, that I didn't know how to put the equipment on. Back then, it was a little more difficult than it is today. Today, you grab a pair of pants and they have all the pads in them now and everything. Well, back then you had to put in everything and and then you had to uh, memorize all the plays and it was very complicated and it takes some time to memorize them. I could remember writing all these plays down, sticking them in my helmet and then, you know, obviously you sweat and I pulled it out to to read something. It was all a blur. It was it was tough. It was tough. And to, get, to give a time frame, what, what are we talking, the 70s or 80s? Is, what? Well, well, let me think. That would have been in 1969, I believe. OK. Yeah. Yeah. So football, my freshman year, football was so different back then. It was. It was quite the experience. And I didn't do any. I ended up they used to put kind of your worst player at center. And, uh, and that's that what, what I played. Started? <laughs> I started, started at center and uh, inside linebacker at the time. And then I was pretty small, 5'9", 110 pounds soaking wet, you know, so I had a lot of growing to do yeah. uh, to become a college worthy prospect. And eventually I did grow to about 6'4", 220 or 225 by the time I graduated and went to Eastern. For those of us that are a little illiterate to football, myself included with that, center, what is the the task that the center plays? Normally, first of all, you do have to, uh, 
you know, and you'll hear my whole story, I ended up becoming an All-American center at Eastern. And that's how I was drafted into the pros. In that offense, they put the best player. You know, they needed a good player to play at center. But my responsibility was, first of all, to snap the ball and not fumble the exchange from the ground to the quarterback's Back, hands, yeah. right? And then normally on a, an even defense, that means when you're not covered, there's no nose guard, nose man right over you. You normally block back and fill for the pulling guard, and that was typically my assignment at that time. And then if it was a odd front, then a lot of times you would double team with the with the nose guard. And I know that's probably a little <laughs> no, no, hard no, on, hard to visualize. But um, so although I wouldn't say it's in it's incredibly difficult, it was all brand new, and it was a lot to learn you know, in a short time. I mean, uh, it sounds like, so if I'm understanding correctly, a center, you got to have a good throwing arm, right? Well, no. You're not doing the... No, no. That's, uh, and you're thinking quarterback. I'm thinking quarterback is the guy. Yeah. And and the only good thing about being a center, I guess, is you get to handle the ball every time because (laughs) the center has to snap it either to the quarterback or now they shotgun snap to anybody who's standing back there, uh, the running back or whatever. So, and I guess if your mom's looking out on the field, she can see your hand on the ball, but that's about it. You can't yeah. see, you're kind of covered up with uh, everyone human- else humanity. around you. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone else around you. Yeah. <laughs> right. The object is to get the ball, right? Yes. You yes, go to yes. One of the ends of the, the goal line. <clears throat> so then starting in high school, you're, you're starting to, to grow, yes. getting bigger you played every year, I assume. I did in high school. I did. So going, you know, just like sophomore and junior year, what was what was happening for you? I continued to grow and get better. In fact, let's move to my senior year. I played tight end then, and I played defensive end or tackle. Played them both, but I continued to get better. And I could remember really figuring out the blocking thing as a tight end. And toward the middle of my senior year, I was doing pretty good. So I was a late bloomer. And fortunately, some college uh, scouts from Eastern looked at me and thought I might develop into a a pretty good college player. A full scholarship from I, Eastern? I did. That's an okay. interesting story, too, because I was a very backward kid. And, when uh, you say backward, what do you well, mean? Well, let me explain. So I'm thinking, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to college. I mean, four more years of school, I couldn't fathom that. Well, I wasn't a great student because I didn't see the point in it, as people say. I did my best, but it was average. Not somebody that expected to go on to to college and higher education. So they watched my film and they thought that I was a pretty good college prospect. They called up and offered me a half of a scholarship. And like I said, I didn't really plan on going to college. So I said, no, you know, I'm not interested in that because I didn't want my parents to pay for me to go to school because I really didn't know what I wanted to study to begin with. And so when, you know, a half scholarship, that means they're just going to pay for half of your... Everything. Yeah. And then they said, well, okay, well, let's, let me check. And he, he got back with the head coach. The head coach said, yeah, we will, uh, we'll give you a full scholarship. So it costs me absolutely nothing for four years to go to Eastern Illinois, which was a real blessing. 
I want to throw this in there for all those listening that uh, I did end up being a pretty good student. I went down there. We had some great professors. And there's an old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? But then I heard you can put salt in his oats and make them thirsty. And and my professors kind of salted uh, the oats. I mean, they were really great at what they did. They were um, great communicators and professionals and loved their the content of their discipline. And I, I became a lifelong learner, learner uh, made the dean's list several times. And, uh, you know, from that day forward, I I love to learn. I love to study. And uh, so they really changed my life. So what did you major in then? I really struggled on what to do. I never questioned that I would be successful. This is interesting, Jake, because coming up from a hardworking farm family, my grandparents, my parents were such, they had such a great work ethic. I knew I was going to be successful because I looked around and I knew I could work my way to win, to be successful in whatever I chose. So that wasn't a problem, but I just didn't, until my junior year, I determined that I was going to be a physical education major and minored in health ed and driver's education. And I thought I'd like to coach, teach and coach. And so that's what I ended up doing. But I assume that your football career at Eastern was going so well that you mentioned you became All-American, right? So I did. How did that happen? Well, that's interesting. <laughs> and it didn't happen in the beginning because you remember I explained how I went from humble beginnings as a freshman in high school. It was very similar freshman year at Eastern. So you weren't the cream of the crop. Not there. exactly. I didn't do anything spectacular as a freshman. You know what? As I look back at some newspaper clippings, you'll laugh because my mom has kept everything and we're going through some things. She's in assisted living right now. And uh, so I'm cleaning up and looking at and she didn't throw anything away. So <laughs> I looked and I saw that I led the team in receptions my sophomore year. Even got a little time in on the varsity. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't, don't remember, remember being, that. Well, no, I, I know I caught a few passes, but I didn't know that I led the team. The, and then that would be the JV team, the junior varsity. So fresh, and that's mostly freshmen, sophomore, and a few juniors. So, but I continued my junior year. I was still playing tight end at the beginning of the year. I earned the starting spot. And then about after the second game, my junior year, they called me in the office and said, Ted, we're struggling at center. We've got some other good tight ends. We want you to move to center. You were very familiar with center. Well, right? well, you know, from you would, your from your high school days. Right? Yeah, you would think so. But uh, I, I suppose I was also familiar with the with the situation that no one but your mother knows you're in there playing, at least as you're as a tight end, you get to catch a pass once in a while, maybe a touchdown and get your name in the paper. And that was kind of cool. So I had a bad attitude. I didn't want to play center. I wanted to transfer or quit. Uh, I had a bad attitude for a few days. And I think you can You feel wanted to quit altogether? <laughs> well, you know what? I guess maybe that's a little extreme. Okay. But I think you can feel sorry for yourself for a short time. And then you got to 
then you, you gotta, come to your senses. You and have you're like, to. Oh, right, okay. yeah. right. We all, then, we've all had those moments. <laughs> so, uh, so listen to the rest of the story. So then I move from tight end to center. I end up doing pretty good. I continued to do better my junior year. All of a sudden, going into my senior year, they're starting to tout me as a future All-American, maybe a pro prospect. So looking way back, if I hadn't moved to center, I may never have had a chance to play in the NFL, certainly for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and would have missed out on a couple Super Bowl rings and a lot of great memories. I guess in my mind, I'm surprised that they approached you and they're like, we want to move you from this position to playing center. Mm -hmm. I didn't think you ever had that option. I feel like you were always just told where you needed to be. But I mean, well, I suppose since I, (laughs) yeah, I, you know, I get, I think I was a pretty good team player. I mean, I was captain certainly my senior year, uh, team captain or co-captain. And I think that it was just out of um, kindness that they tried to make it sound like it was, it was a, a choice. It was a choice. But they needed of, me there. And yeah. quite frankly, players have to play where they have to, whatever they can do to help the team, that's where you should be. And I would imagine if you would have said, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that, they probably wouldn't have done too many favors for you after that. They would have been like, oh, okay, he's not. Well, that's probably true. But that's not my personality at all. Like I gathered I, that. Like, yeah. like I said, after a very short time, I just bought in and I go, okay, I'm playing center. And then I earned a, a, I ended up really enjoying playing with the offensive linemen because they're a special group. And we had, uh, we were pretty good for a while. And that was your, I'm sorry, that was your junior year? That was my junior year in the beginning. Okay. I played two games at tight end. You know, I'd won that spot, a starting tight end. I was feeling really good. We had a new coaching staff that year and uh, they ran the Houston Veer offense. It was called the Veer. And you needed a talented athletic center to perform the assignments. And that's why they had to move me there. The guy that was there was really a defensive lineman, not comfortable at center, wasn't really getting it done. So we needed to do that to be successful. And then what does it mean to be All-American? That's what I've always wondered what in the world that means. in, In my case, I don't know exactly how the voting goes. This was AP. Associated Press All-American, which meant sports writers, I guess, across the country would would vote. It was a great honor to be chosen. So it's usually a voting thing among the press that they... It is. And then I and think they look you're... At, they probably look at your stats, right? I'm well, sure you're, that has something to do with it. You're, here's what helps. Your SID, your sports information director, has to promote you a little bit. And then I could remember seeing very nice things that opponents, head coaches said about me as a player. And that helps too, because obviously your program's going to be a little biased toward you, either right or wrong. And um, But when you get that kind of notoriety from opposing head coaches, then that means a lot. Yeah, I would imagine from the other team, they're like, right. oh, that guy's really good. And, and and for me, it really stated that, you know, I was the best 
player I possibly could be in Division II football at that time. So that was pretty cool. That's pretty much what set you up for to be drafted? or well, it all goes what? together. It wasn't just that because pro scouts, they hear about you. They don't always just look around and see, you know, who earned All-American? Let's go scout them. They come in and, and see you, watch you practice, watch some of your game film, talk to your coaches. So they know they have a good visual on you. Yeah, they're investigating they you, do. essentially, they right? Pro- yes. And they probably expect you to earn high honors, but uh, sometimes you get overlooked and that wouldn't matter to them. So All-American happened junior year, right? Uh, or, senior uh, year. That was senior year. Yeah, yeah. So at that time, were you starting to get scouted? And who were you getting scouted by? I was scouted maybe even my junior year. You start to receive letters from different pro teams. And I was scouted by several. I couldn't probably remember them all. But the you'll laugh that the team that showed the most interest in me was the Dallas Cowboys. And I think they thought they could maybe get me in a later round. But the Pittsburgh Steelers were the only team where the head coach, Chuck Knoll, who's in the Hall of Fame, flew into Charleston, Illinois, and came to work me out in the spring before the draft. So, and they were the ones that picked me. And that probably really made you want to sign on with them because he flew all the way to see you, whereas the Cowboys didn't come all the way out, right, yeah. to, well, that, to see you. Yeah, that was impressive. However, once you're drafted, you have no choice <laughs> but to sign on and okay. with them unless you want to do something else, unless you want to go to Canada and play there. And I was selected in Canada as well, but I the NFL was certainly the way to go. How does that work then? Now that we're getting into that, how how does the draft work in the NFL? Okay, so once they select you, everybody takes a turn. The team basically with the worst record gets to pick first, <laughs> and the team with the best record gets to pick last. That way you, you've heard the word parity in the NFL. They like they don't want to have the same teams in the Super Bowl every year. They like to change it up. Yeah, give everybody a chance to to get the best, better talent to improve that kind of thing. Yeah, give each team their year, right? That's if, that's if, right. If they can, that's right. So is it pretty much they give you all these players? Like, okay, these are the players you have to choose from, mm-hmm. and then. That's when they start with the worst team and go up to the yeah, best. Yeah, yeah. Here's, here's how it would look. The, the Pittsburgh Steelers chose me in the fourth round in 1977. So when it was their turn, and I forget, I was the 93rd pick of the entire draft, and the player pool goes like this, is if you, back then, if you were a senior— and you played your four years, you were graduating. They couldn't take you if you were a junior. Now, I, I think you, I don't know I th- the rules. I think, I think they, can. they can. Yeah, now, I think right? they can. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. And so, and that's how it goes. So then the Steelers, when it was their turn, and I forget who picked first that year. Well, I can tell you who picked first. It was the Dallas Cowboys took Tony Dorsett because Tony Dorsett and I were seniors together. 
and uh, he played for the Dallas Cowboys for years. But the reason why they got it, the Seattle Seahawks should have had the pick. They uh, traded Tony Dorsett. They traded their draft choices to the Dallas Cowboys for players. And then the Dallas Cowboys chose Tony Dorsett number one that year. And then every spot after that, then the second round team picks, third round team with a terrible record picks (laughs) until finally the former Super Bowl champs normally pick last. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. You get selected by the Steelers. Yes. And then what happens from there in 1977? Well, very interesting. Back then, I flew, I'm trying to even think when this was. I think I got drafted in April. In late April, I flew to Pittsburgh to um, participate in a rookie camp. And now they have those off-season workouts in April and stuff like that. But I flew there and we had a uh, a workout, which was quite interesting in Pittsburgh. And then in July, we showed up for rookie camp again, which is a week by ourselves. And then the veterans reported uh, a week after we arrived. And then we were in training camp. Well, there was six preseason games back then, Jake. So we were in training camp my rookie year for about nine weeks. In preseason games now, there's what? There's only a handful, right? There's not six. I think it's down to three. Yeah. Yeah. And then my second year on, I played eight seasons. It was cut to four preseason games and 16 regular season games. So that was kind of interesting. But it was a long time to be in camp, quite different. There was no concussion protocol. There was no, it was pretty Spartan back then. We stayed in dorm rooms without air conditioning or phones in our rooms or any. I imagine, and I could be wrong, you'll tell me different, but I imagine being a rookie in the NFL is probably a lot like how when you went to college, you kind of had to, it's like a reset button. You know, you're kind of starting almost all over again. Absolutely. And, and did, is that how it felt? I mean, what was it like to be a rookie for the Steel? What was your experience? Well, again, you you are right on the money when you say, just like I went from my freshman year in high school was starting at the bottom, freshman year in college, same thing with the rookie year in the NFL, so much to learn. And picture this, when I was a freshman in high school, Sam Davis, I believe, on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, no, I was 16 years old when he was when he was a, a rookie. So, I mean, he he was much older than me. And so you're playing against guys way older and more experienced than you. And the offense itself is much more complex. So that's a, it takes you a couple of years to kind of to get comfortable with that, too. So it was a very, very difficult experience. You've heard of the 85 Bears? Yes, of course. Of okay, course. right. You're laughing. <laughs> very, very good defensive team, right? And then there was, I forget which, it was in the 90s, the Ravens had a very good defense. I do remember that, too, when I, yeah. I was a kid at that point. Okay. I remember one of the Super Bowls they yeah. won sometime in the 90s. Well, Ray, yeah. Ray Lewis was just a beast in the whole defense. Well, the 1976 Steelers were that good too. They had won two Super Bowls when I was in 
college. In 74 and 75, they won two Super Bowls. And then in 77, pardon me, 76, they had their best team ever, they think. But they missed the Super Bowl because both the running backs got injured going into the AFC Championship game. And anyway, but they think that defense was the best assembled. In fact, nine players out of this starting 11 went to the Pro Bowl. So that kind of shows you how what kind of talent they had on the team. Well, I said that to tell you that when I went in 1977, that's the defense I had to block in practice to impress the coaches to make the team. Oh man. Quite frankly, and it was brutal. Okay, you know, so it was brutal. So just because you get drafted doesn't mean you make the team, is that what you're Absolutely. telling me? Absolutely. Okay. And just because you sign a big contract and we could talk about my contract it wasn't big. Well, no, I would love to hear the uh, yeah. out of that because I'm always fascinated well, by the business uh, side of it. Well, if you you've heard a signing bonus. Yes. I think the signing bonus it's always yours. Unless maybe you fail to show up for camp, maybe then they could say, well, we need our money back. But if they cut you, that signing bonus is yours. Um, so really, the rookie camp is just kind of comb out people is what you're telling me. Well, they comb out a lot more than they sign. That's for sure. They bring in a lot of players, but very few make the team. The higher you're drafted, the more they invest in you. The more signing bonus they've given you, the better your chances are sticking with the team. But, so, uh, so, yeah, what were your terms? Then? Okay. My sign-in bonus was $13,500. And to play my first year was 27500 I think that comes out to forty and uh, 40 you mean this day and age? Uh, or, yeah. Or no, no, total? 40 total. I'm trying to think of in today's economy what that would match to. Well, let me tell you okay. what I, I just heard. Uh, and I, I maybe I uh, spoke out of turn there because I, I, it was six fifty minimum. Six hundred and fifty thousand, and I made twenty seven thousand five hundred. So that gives you a little bit of an idea. And then if I if I would have signed today, I would have had over a million to sign, and instead of thirteen thousand five hundred. But I quickly want to say that I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, the times that we had, the success that we had, the guys I played with, there was ten Hall of Fame players and a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, we were. We had a good team, and uh, it was a great time to to be a part of that program. So you get through the the rookie camps, and yes. then they're like, "Okay, we're going to keep you." Is that how that works? Well, this is so weird. <laughs> it's weird you'd say that because I was just thinking about it the other day. No one told me anything. I I <laughs> That's did weird. I did know that when you didn't make it, somebody would come to your room and say. Coach wants to see you, not coach, not the head coach, it some would other. Be some administrative yeah, person. Yeah, maybe some equipment manager or something <laughs> like that, you know, and uh, and bring your playbook, you know, and you knew you were cut. You were yeah, on You your, were going home. You right? were going home is right. And so they never told me anything, and I'm still wondering, and then. I just kept showing up. Your anxiety they, level it, must have been so high, right? Do you yeah, remember I feeling guess, very anxious? Because I, I suppose. I mean, here's what you spend your time doing. You're with your buddies and you're thinking, okay, now this guy's doing good. This not, guy's not going to, not doing as well. Maybe he'll get cut. And then, well, maybe there's a trade. 
and then it looks different all the way. They trade somebody away. And in my case, I played offensive tackle mostly, but I had to play offensive guard and center as well. You had to know them all. They only kept eight offensive linemen on a team. So they traded this uh, this veteran, Gordon Gravel, to the New York Giants. He played my position. I mean, that was a good thing for me, and it looked better, but you still never know till the very end. Gosh, that's wild. That, it would, was. that would drive me absolutely insane. Yeah. I don't know if I can handle that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one, one thing about it is, you'll laugh again, that it was so hard, Jake. One day of training camp seemed like a year. Oh, I can I mean, at least a week. It was brutal. And we were there for nine weeks. And I could remember a guy quitting who was a, a very good offensive lineman from Ohio State University, a big school. I went yeah, to a small school. Yeah, Ohio State. Well, he couldn't take it anymore, and he quit. And I thought to myself, you know what? I got a chance because I was brought up like, you know, I told you where I learned to work hard, don't quit, keep a great attitude, that kind of thing. And I knew I had a chance. So that was good. But there was a part of me that envied him because the pain was over for him. Yeah, you're like, man. <laughs> oh, done. he gets to go home. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I would not quit. I just would not quit. But if they had that's cut that me, Midwest uh, farmer. I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. It's hard to explain. You get through the the rookie camp and everything. Yeah. You're staying on the team. What do you remember from that first season for the Pittsburgh Steelers? I was uh, fortunate to make the team. I played on all the special teams. It was a Super Bowl team a couple of years before. They only had one year off. And then, you know, in 77, I didn't play much on offense. But like I said, I contributed on special teams. And then... What I remember specifically is the team that showed the most interest in me, the Dallas Cowboys, right? And I told you they had traded up and got Tony Dorsett. He was a big, he was a great running back. And they got back to the Super Bowl again. We lost to the Denver Broncos in the playoffs that year. And the Denver Broncos played against the Cowboys in the Super Bowl and the Cowboys beat them. And I thought that was my chance for a Super Bowl ring. And that was really bummed. Yeah. <laughs> so when did that chance for well, the Super Bowl for the Steelers come? Well, the very next year. The so very next year in 1978. Yeah, it's funny how there were a lot of distractions in 1977. Jack Lambert, our Hall of Fame middle linebacker, held out. Lynn Swan held out. Mel Blunt had a was suing the coach. That's a long story, and, and so there he, was a lot going on in the team. A lot of distractions. Yeah, it still was a talented team, but a lot of distractions. And when you're not pulling in the same direction, even talent doesn't always get you through, right? Yeah. So then the next year we got back on track, and um, Terry Bradshaw was doing great at quarterback. He really started throwing the ball Terry better was on than your team. ever he was. He okay. was one of the Hall of Famers I was talking about. Oh, wow. Throwing to Lynn Swan and, and John Stallworth. And I could remember Joe Green telling a reporter once I listened, our, our lockers were close. He said, I think we'll see you at the summit. And he meant 
the Super Bowl. And I thought, wow, if Joe Green thinks we're going to go to the, he's been to two already. That was fantastic. And that year. Was Terry a part of those other Super Bowls too? He was. Okay. He was. He had, he was one of 16 players who won four Super Bowls uh, uh, with the Steelers. And, and then at the end of that year, that season, 78, we ended up playing the Dallas Cowboys in the Orange Bowl in Miami in the Super Bowl. And we beat them. And that was my chance for uh, a ring. So what do you remember from that game, that Super Bowl? What was the Super Bowl like in 1978? Well, it was a great game because the score was something like 34, 31, 35, 31, something like so that. you guys and, were really working yeah, at and, each other. And it went back and forth a little bit. Well, that's an intense game. It was real intense. And early on, uh, I will tell you, they were running Tony Dorsett, who I've mentioned a couple times. Yeah. And uh, he was really good, and he was kind of making some real nice runs, getting first downs, and for whatever reason, they kind of left him, quit running it so much, and started throwing. Roger Staubach was their quarterback. He's in the Hall of Fame. He was outstanding, too. And then it was kind of a passing duel between those two guys, and we came out on top. But what I remember is showing up that day to the stadium, and this never happened we played in the Super Bowl in L.A. the year after. but So it was the game in in Los Angeles, in, uh, this game was? No, no. Uh, I'm talking about the game in Miami. So Super was Bowl Miami. 13 was in Miami. Super okay. Bowl 14 was in L.A. And, and when we showed up at the stadium, there were mounted police, you know, police on horseback, trying to keep the crowd back just to get our buses in close enough to get the team into the building. And I'm thinking, this is how the Rolling Stones feel when they go to concert. You know what I right. mean? Right. I mean, that's, it was, that's pretty it much was, it. I, I'm thinking, well, this is a big deal. And the Super Bowl is a pretty big, uh, it's a big event. I mean, you got your chance to play in the game too, right? Uh, I mean, absolutely. Okay. Now, so, I played uh, primarily, this was my third year. This was my second year. The second sorry, year. My yeah. second year. Your second season. Yeah. yeah. My second year. And we, and I was still on special teams, didn't play any uh, offensive tackle. But the next year I did. The next year would my, was my third year, the Steelers' fourth Super Bowl in LA. And I played an awful lot, contributed to that one, which is kind of needed in, in itself. So, what else do you remember <clears throat> from that first Super Bowl? I just had a a lot of people from the Moments area travel down. I think I got about 20 tickets for the game. And back then they were 50 bucks. Now they're about 5,000. Yeah. You know, and you can't get them. No. Uh, I couldn't. Uh -uh. I couldn't. uh, Yeah. I guess I could afford them if uh, if I was making the millions that they're making today. But so you probably gave to your family, right? I'm I, sure I your did. mom and dad, family, and... and I had some friends, you know, from the area. My mom and dad's friends. When it was just a, a great time, so it was a great memory. We had a nice, uh, nice get together afterwards. It was all good. So I finally got my first uh, Super Bowl ring. I was very pleased getting through that first Super Bowl. Was it consecutive? Was 79 another Super Bowl for the Steelers? It was. Oh, my gosh. And, and you know, to win the Super Bowl is difficult. To repeat is more difficult because everybody knows you're the team to beat 
you know, and they give you their best effort, right? And uh, and the Steelers won back to back seventy four, seventy five, and then seventy eight and seventy nine. So that's quite a feat. That seventies was a good decade for the Steelers. It was, and they were the team of the decade. Decade. I'm not sure who who uh, tabbed them that, but yeah. Well, having the <clears throat> reputation that Terry Bradshaw continues to have today probably helps, right? So. Yeah, 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 I mean, and he was quite the character back then. I he, tell, cra- he cracks me up. Well, I, mean, I <laughs> let me tell you a little you, bit about. Did Sid. you have any interactions? Yeah, with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he was uh, obviously our quarterback. He was in the huddle. He, he was in the locker room. We got to spend a lot of time together, and he liked to have fun, you know. And he liked to cut up a little bit. And uh, I must admit, though, maybe hopefully he won't hear this, but. <laughs> I don't think he was that funny always back then. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he liked to laugh he liked and to yuck screw it up. Around. He yeah. did. He yeah. did. However, since that time, you know, he's become way more refined. Yes. He must have a good uh, writer for material and whatever sure, those guys do. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. But he is absolutely hilarious in person because I've gone back to Pittsburgh over the years. For some big fundraisers where we raise over half a million dollars for um, Mel Blunt's uh, youth homes. Great thing. And Terry will come and MC, and we roast some or he roasts somebody or whatever. And it's, or you roast it, him. It, it, yeah. yeah. Well, he was, he's been roasted and he's, uh, and he's, he's just quite the comedian. He's just absolutely a stitch. I believe it. Oh, he is. He yeah. is what he's, what you see on TV. That's what you get. He yeah. loves to laugh. Yeah, I guess that's what I always <clears throat> liked about him. Yeah. So, you know, you win that that first Super Bowl for yourself in 77. Yeah. Or 78, excuse me. And then you get to 79. What's what's it like starting your, that'd be your, your third year at that point? Yes. Are you still, what is your your contract situation like at that point? Do you remember? Yeah, you know what? I they always have an option. So let's see. I had I had two years and an option year. An option means they have an option to to trade you. Is that how? Well, they can always trade you. Okay. Um, an option year means you're still not free. You're not a free agent to go negotiate with other teams. And when does a free agent? When does that happen? Well, if you were, and I don't know what it is today, but if but you would, then. if you would say go into that option year and not re-sign with them, and then play for an, an amount that you already agreed to. Then that means the next year you would be a free agent. And Lynn Swan did that, and no one bid on him because at one time the NFL stuck together. They didn't want this bidding war. They didn't want high players' salaries. They wanted to make some money. And then things turned with the collective bargaining agreement where they wanted a percentage of the gross. I mean, the NFL was making so much money at that time from the television contracts alone. And our union said, we want a percentage of the gross. And when I looked at the the amount, I said, there's no way they're making that much money. But I guess they were. And eventually, and unfortunately for me, it really happened kind of the year after I retired, where the salaries really started to escalate. And it's it's never stopped. Each year, 
the percentage of the gross or the um, the you've heard of the players cap or the salary cap it's salary cap yeah and it keeps going up and I mean each year here's an example each year I think this year we'll just say it's around I'm sure I'm wrong but 120 million dollars per team for the for the year right and when we won the Super Bowl in in 1978, I can remember our whole team salary, 53 guys, was two and a half million. Oh my God. And some guys make 20 million. Uh, yeah, I, I hear figures that are kind of unbelievable, but so I'm not sure how we got started off in this, but that was quite a change in the league. I just can't, <laughs> I can't, fa- that's. Two and go from two and a half million now to you know one twenty one hundred twenty million, million or more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point, and that doesn't include what the what the teams make on licensing products. They sell oh, you know yeah. all the players' jerseys and likeness and uh, all that stuff. All that stuff. The clothing, the the luxury boxes, the the advertisement. The Chicago Bear. This is the insurance of the Chicago Bears, or this is the whatever. Yes, all uh, that stuff. Yeah, right. So, getting to the second Super Bowl, <clears throat> what do you remember from that season of of seventy? Well, that, that would was, have been seventy nine. Yeah, right? my third year. And what was kind of cool about that is, starting in the beginning of the year, I played a lot. Then I was backing up both right and left tackle. And Larry Brown was at right tackle. John Kolb was at left tackle. And they started getting injured a little bit. They were older. And sometimes injuries accumulate and whatever. So I played a lot more. And that was very gratifying to contribute in that way. And I could remember I also started and played uh, the last nine games of the year in the first two games of the playoffs and we won those games fortunately and then once i and once we uh got to the super bowl there was a two week window between games and i was had replaced john kolb he got healthy and he started and but i was okay with that i still got to go in and play a good bit uh, which was gratifying again it's just nice to you feel like more of a part of the team if you're actually Playing if and not he, he, sitting on the bench. Exactly. Yeah. Not exactly. being a, just a backup or yeah. what have you. So what was that second Super Bowl? Who was that against? It was against the, uh, believe it or not, the L.A. Rams oh. in, in L.A. So they had a home field advantage, so to speak. It was in the Coliseum. It was, to this day, the largest crowd ever. It's over 104,000 in the stadium that would have been beaten when somebody played in Dallas Cowboys new stadium because it's bigger but something happened and they didn't fill it fully and so we still have the record for the most uh, but it would have been because everything's bigger in Texas everything is it's it's a I guess a remarkable stadium so that's what I keep hearing and let me say that the Pittsburgh fans were just phenomenal, very demanding. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you're winning, I mean, they showed up in numbers and you would think it was a home game in L.A., although it, wa- it was, you know, their home stadium. Yeah. So, so what was that game like, the Super Bowl game in 79? In 79, it was a real 
a nail biter. I mean, it doesn't sound like it because I think we won 31 to 19, but we were losing at half. And they had this young quarterback, Vince Ferragamo, and he was throwing all over us, our defense. And we were on the ropes there a little bit. And somehow Terry Bradshaw in particular hooked up with some real big passes to uh, John Stallworth, who was also in the Hall of Fame with Lin Swan. Yeah, I've heard on of the his other name. Side. I've heard of his name. And yeah. uh, we ended up pulling it out. Do you remember Linda? Was it Linda Evans? Yeah, that's Charlie's nice. Angels. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She sang the national anthem. Okay. And, you know, so do you remember? Yeah. And they, they had halftime. Did they have halftime shows? Then? Oh, yeah. Or, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not like they do today. Well, of course not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they did. Do you remember who played the, the halftime show? <laughs> you know what? I don't. Of course, we're, we're you're not, not even, there. You're yeah. not there to watch it. But no. uh, certainly today, even if you weren't out there watching, you would know you all would about it because... Know, yeah. Because they advertise it so prolifically before the game. so Yes. So then what happens after that second Super Bowl? Are you still with the Steelers in 80? Well, what was interesting is, you know, I played well. I'm going into my fourth year. I did end up staying with the Steelers. But as I look back and you hear things afterwards, the Los Angeles Rams were trying to trade for me. Now, the Steelers never... Because I was, uh, you know, it was the year that I needed to resign. The Steelers chose to keep me, and I'm glad they did. It was a fine organization. I was, I'm glad to have played most of my entire career with them. Because it was what? How many years? How many seasons? I, it was eight seasons, and it was uh, seven with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I split a year with the Browns and the Colts. And then I came and for my ninth season, I showed up for the uh, the Colts. They were in Indianapolis at the time, and I was cut in the pre uh, after the last preseason game after we played the Bears in Chicago. Actually, <laughs> no way. Yeah, this was in '85. So, uh, oh. so I guess I did play against so, the '85 so Bears. You played against the '85 Bears. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it was neat. So after that, they were like, "We're done." With you in a well, preseason you know game? What, what? Uh, yeah. Uh, was that the end of your career then at that point, or did you go somewhere else after uh, the Colts? Well, I, I had a tryout with a couple of uh, teams, but um, I never hooked on. And, and sometimes they'll call you in to check you out and see how you're doing. And then if they have an injury, then they'll give you a call. Did you have any injuries yourself? Nothing I, that I would consider real major. I could remember in 1983, I, uh, I injured my uh, foot playing Detroit at Detroit and missed the last three games of the year there. Not horrible. Not too bad. Yeah, I was pretty fortunate. And today, I'm not, I could be in better shape, I think, but I certainly could be a lot worse. You know, I have some low back problems once in a while on my neck, but I'm blessed. I, I feel pretty good. So after the Colts, then where, what happens after the Indianapolis Colts? Well, I did go home and stayed in shape. And you're talking about in 85, correct? Yeah. So you weren't done with the NFL then, or well, were you at uh, that point? Were I, you just taking a break? I ended up being done, but I didn't know it at the time, you know, and, okay. uh, 
I did fly to uh, Washington to try out for the Redskins. Again, they they were going to bring me in, but then they didn't uh, end up needing any more offensive linemen. They stayed healthy, and they were down to six guys, I guess. And so they were going to bring me in, but that never happened. So it went like this. I I was with the Steelers for seven years. In 1984, I went to camp, and I had uh, some low back issues. And the Steelers said, well, we're going to cut you, but we're going to give you half your salary if you just sit at home and work out and stay ready because we'll bring you back if we need you, you know. And then our arch rival, the Cleveland Browns, called me and they said, well, we don't care if you, you know, unless you walk in here with a cane, you'll you'll pass our physical and we want you now. And we'll give you not only your whole salary, which was maybe my salary was maybe 135 at that time. And they said, we'll give you 150,000 if you if you sign with us now. So I did. And Sam Ritigliano was the he was the head coach, great guy. And ten games later, we hadn't won a game, and I wasn't starting at the time. I started some games, but that's a lot to lose. It was. <laughs> it, we weren't good. You know, we weren't good with the Browns, so they cut me, and they cut. Sam Ritigliano and Marty Schottenheimer, another coach, he took over and he was there for years. And I was the first player that he cut, I suppose. And uh, anyway, so then when I left the Browns, I flew out to the Oakland Raiders, I believe, Oakland Raiders at the time. And I tried out with them. Same deal. Hey, this this is an interesting story. So same deal. So they go, we'll call you if we lose one more offensive lineman. I said, okay. So I flew home. I got home like five in the morning because they send me home on a nine o'clock flight from LA or something like that. It was just bad. Flew back to Cleveland, right? Because Cleveland had just cut me. We're living in Cleveland at the time. And then the Indianapolis Colts called. So I moved my family home, got on a plane, flew to Indy, and tried out with them, and they wanted to sign me right then. But you have to understand, they were the worst team in the league in many different ways, and no one wanted to play for the Indianapolis Colts at that time, including me. But I didn't have a job, right? But you're like, I need to work. So I signed. I go back to my hotel room, and it's Monday night, and I'm watching Monday night football the Oakland Raiders are playing the Seahawks, the Seattle Seahawks. And this is a true story. So right before half, the left tackle of the Oakland Raiders gets hurt. And just a few minutes later in my hotel room, I get a call from my mother in moments saying, the Raiders just called me and they wanted your phone number. They're going to be calling you. So this was at the hotel. Because we didn't have cell phones back then. And and sure enough, just a few minutes after this guy goes down on national television, Monday Night Football, and they called me and they said, Ted, we want you to fly out right away. We're going to assign you. And I said, well, 
you know, you missed it by an hour or two. Oh, man. I said, I signed with the Colts and I felt rotten oh. because the Raiders paid well. The yeah, it's weather's California. great. It's California. Yeah. Let me tell you a story about Al oh. Davis, their owner. I sat in his office and he, of course, he knew everything about everybody. And I said, um, because I didn't know they, I thought they might sign me on the spot. And he goes, and I said, but I didn't even bring any clothes with me or anything. He goes, no problem. We'll buy you a whole new wardrobe, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he was quite, he was quite the character. But um, anyway, I signed with the Colts, started, uh, you know, every game for them. And, uh, and we weren't good. And, uh, and then the next year in training camp is when I, showed up and I ended up getting cut with them. And and primarily that was because they wanted me to sign a waiver on my back because my back would, they didn't want to pay me if I got injured and I wouldn't sign because, I mean, what if I went out there and had a severe yeah. injury and then wow. I would have no coverage or with no compensation at all. Not even the contract that's signed. Me- so, that's messed up. Well, me, it was. So up. Yeah, I don't that, know if that practice is still in place, but that's No, it up. isn't. It, it isn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they've gotten better in many, many different ways since I've played. Oh, I would imagine yeah. it's been so long ago. So after the Colts, mm-hmm. you're done. Right. Is that when you decided to settle in, in Pittsburgh? In well, the no, Pittsburgh let area? me. Let me say I was there at that point. I was there probably for another. 21, 22 years, and it goes to fast forward through it. After I knew I was done, done, I looked into the possibility of teaching and coaching locally because that's where my what my degree was was in, and I had to go back to um, a college, Slippery Rock University, to pick up a course to become certified to teach in Pennsylvania. I was certified in Illinois. And then I, I got an opportunity to, uh, to teach and coach at a suburban school in the South Hills, and I just really loved it. So I was there for one year, two years, I believe, as an assistant. Then I took a head coaching job at another school. I was a head coach there for five years, remained on as a teacher for another five years approximately. And from that point, I went to a very prominent athletic academic school in the South Hills, where a lot of the Steelers sent their kids, at least early on, Upper St. Clair High School. And I was the athletic director there. So I was there for about seven years. And uh, KCC's Kankakee Community College's athletic director job opened up and I applied and I ended up getting that. And that's what brought me back Back to the yard. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was when? That would have been in 2008 in October, late October, I believe, almost uh, November. And you were looking to to come back. I to, was. I the area. I, yeah, I looked at a few other things. So I think if you add it all up, I was in Pittsburgh 31 years. Yeah, that's a long from time. being drafted to coming back home. Mm-hmm. Did you like staying in Pittsburgh just because that's where you're? career had really blossomed and you just felt an attachment to it or was it just that's where opportunity was uh the latter probably and i was going to say that's where most of your opportunities lie now 
a lot of people leave and go when their playing days are over, they leave. But I was kind of entrenched in there a little bit, you know, married a Pittsburgh girl, had a couple young kids. So obviously you get more attachments. But then as time went on, I really was drawn back to this area and wanted to bring my youngest son out here to to raise and to experience some of the things that I thought were such a positive to me. And then from the athletic director at KCC? Right. I retired from, from that position. And then almost immediately, I was uh, employed by Van Drunen Farms and Moments. Started out part-time and then they asked if I would work full-time, and it's been a great uh, partnership. Wonderful, wonderful uh, men of faith, you know, Christian guys, the Van Drunen brothers, Jeff and, uh, Jeff and Kevin. I have the privilege, you'll, you'll laugh at this one, of uh, working with Ed Van Drunen, their father. We meet, I see him more often, but we meet Tuesdays and Thursdays at nine o'clock at the corporate gymnasium. Okay. And so we work out together. So I put him through all this stuff, you know, because I've always been a fan of training and training for athletics and training for uh, just um, good health. Yeah, I mean, it's practically your whole life. Well, yeah, yeah. So I know something about it and I've stayed up on the latest and it is a science that's always evolving, you know, but I get the joy of uh, teaching Ed and others He's 86 years old and he's outstanding. I mean, he does. That's amazing. His flexibility and balance for his age are uncanny and he's getting better even. It's it's really pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really is. cool. You get to work with with him and, and helping him with his fitness. It is. Ted, anything else you want to add? I just want to applaud you for the work you're doing to try to accentuate and bring light to the good of our community. There's a lot of great, you'd mentioned, you know, I'm the first sports guy. Well, tonight I'm going to the 100 Club, if you've heard of that organization. Yeah. Great organization. And uh, Jack Sigma is going to be the speaker. Okay. And Jack and I listen to this. When I was a senior at Moments, he was a senior at St. Anne. He went to Illinois Wesleyan. He went on to play for the Seattle Sonics, Supersonics. And I think he won a couple of championships like Super Bowls in in pro basketball. Yeah, he was a basketball player. Great guy. Yeah, Yeah. he was. And he's in the Hall of Fame. And then there was a guy from Kankakee Eastridge, Estes Hood. Great guy. We've been friends over the years. In fact, one of my fam- uh, favorite memories in with the Steelers is playing the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay, and Estes was on the team. Oh, <laughs> you know, he was drafted out of Illinois State. So, wow, uh, there's been a lot of good that came out of this area. Oh, absolutely. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So, well, thanks for the work you're doing. Oh, thank you, Ted. I, I'm very flattered and I'm very excited that you're now a part of it too. So, because I feel like your story is, is very exciting. Thank so, you very much. Yeah. Great. So, thank you for your time. You're welcome. That concludes this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. Also, a special thank you to our patrons for helping make this episode possible, including Karen Bishop, Jake Lee, Jesse Arsenal, 
Dave Barron, Daryl Damper, Samantha Rocknowski, Lake Iverson, Travis Garcia, Jane Bostwick, Dawn Harrison, Simon Topless, Scott Wright, Carrie O'Connell, Jamie Race, Joanne Barry, Anthony Vicelli, Eric Olson, Carl Earps, Jeff and Rosa Carroll, Teague Dreenan, Sandy and Steve Twait, and Rose Lucky. To become a podcast patron, go to kankakeepodcast.com, click on the Patron tab, and if you pledge $5 or more per month, you'll also hear your name announced on an episode. There's also other rewards like early access to new episodes, video versions of select episodes, podcast merch, discounts on special events, and so much more. Your monthly pledge is truly appreciated, and our monthly goal right now is to reach $400 per month. Now we're about 37% away from reaching that goal. So please sign up for the patron program today at kankakeepodcast.com. Our theme song is written and performed by Lupe Carroll and recorded by Daniel Bishop. (laughs) 